0: Those were young adults, and I'm just blown away. I thank you for your service. Did you ever wonder about the origin of some of the customs and phrases we all use? I love etymology. That's the origins of words. A lot of the words we use, we never bother to look and see where they came from. And I love that. If you've heard me preach, I, I, I use this actually a lot. Recently, I spoke on what fellowship means the ancient mariner's term that we use today without even understanding it was related to sea navigation. In a time when there was no GPS or satellite positioning, there were no uh, satellite weather reports, there were no sonar or radar equip, uh, equipment on a ship or a boat to let them know there were reefs ahead, none of that. And so they had to have, you couldn't stay awake 24 hours a day. So when you set sail on the mighty ocean, you better have some other fellows in your ship. And today we use that term to talk about being in companionship or close to one another. But it had a very practical application. That's what you call the etymology of a word, where the word originated. Well, there are a lot of phrases we use that we don't know where they came from. For example, everybody's heard about June brides, right? June brides. You know June is still a very big month for weddings? Still is. And I always thought that it was because, you know, the school year ended in May. But this actually goes back centuries before there was anything like established religion. I'm sorry, education, not religion. Before there, there, there were schools that were organized with an organized... Curriculum and things like that. June was a real big month for getting married. You know why? All the way back to the 1500s, most people got married in June. The reason was this they only took one bath a year. I'm serious, I'm not making this up. And they believed if you took too many baths, you would get sick and you would die. So they waited till the winter was over and even the cool part of spring was over. And they took their yearly bath in the month of May. The reason they got married in June is you still smelled okay. (laughs) But just in case, I'm not making this up. Did you ever wonder wonder where the bride's bouquet came from? That was just in case you were beginning to get a little rank. So the next time you attend a wedding and the bride has a bouquet, remember that. I just messed it up for you, didn't I? (laughs) Amen. That's a fact. That's where it came from. Here's another interesting bit of trivia from that era. Back then, their baths consisted of a big tub. They would heat water and keep pouring pots of water in it until they had enough to take a bath. But they all bathed in the same water. Ugh, I know. When May came, the man of the house had the privilege of being the first to take a bath in the nice, clean water. And then after that, the sons and the other men. Then came the women and finally the children. Last of all, the babies. No wonder the infant mortality rate was so high back then. The water could be so dirty you couldn't see through it. Hence the saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because there might be a baby down in that thing somewhere. You didn't know origins of traditions and customs and sayings were so significant, did you? But will you do this every day? And when it comes to life, we have traditions, even in our relationship with God, that we don't always understand where they come from. I'm going to talk to you about one of those today and that's communion. When it comes to life, we have ideas about how we want to live and what we think will bring fulfillment and happiness, don't we? And then God has his. The Bible is an incredibly amazing book for many reasons, but one of the most important is that it teaches us how God meant for our lives to be lived that we could be successful. This is your roadmap to success right here. In doing so, that is, in revealing the principles of success, it often reveals astonishing and incredible possibilities of how we might be blessed that we probably will never think about on our own. And I've been talking about one of those. And that is learning how to live in the abiding presence of God. I mean, think about it. Would you have thought about that without the Bible? Would you ever dare to think that you could live in the abiding presence of God if this Bible didn't tell us so? That's a pretty incredible thing. That as mere created beings, we could even have the privilege to visit God, (laughs) much less abide in His presence is almost too wonderful for me to wrap my mind around. But that is exactly what the Bible tells us God wants us to experience. And did you know, I need to point this out that there's no other religion in the world that teaches that their God wants to be close to his people. I don't care what they tell you about how all religions are the same and all roads lead to the same place. I've studied comparative theology. Go, go back to school. Study comparative theology. You're required to study these other religions. All the other religions apart from Christianity teach that their God is distant, remote, and unapproachable. But unfortunately, there are many Christians that think the same thing about our God. And that is simply not who God says he is. We'll go to our text in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verses 1 through 2 and 8. Then the Lord, notice who's speaking, spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. God only wanted those who would give willingly to give. Watch, I'm going to show you why. Verse 8, "And let them build me or make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them." Exodus 29:45 through 46, "I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God." And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You can miss it, so I'm going to point it out to you. Notice that there's a connection between God dwelling among the children of Israel and them knowing that he is the one who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. That is knowing his power or the demonstration of his power. Those who dwell with him Get to see things that others do not see, and then in Acts two and forty two, back to our common text for this period of time, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's supper. They had the Lord's supper in their homes and with one another on a daily basis and to prayer. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You say, wait a minute, I thought you was going to talk about communion and the physical act of communion, which we call the Lord's Supper. That's what they did in the second chapter of the book of Acts and what we do here several times a year. And now then you're saying that we have the communion of the Holy Spirit. Sounds like something different. It is. But it has the same common word, which is koinonia, and it means fellowship. In other words, you can live in continual fellowship with the Holy Spirit is what Paul is saying in 2nd Corinthians 13 14 but the act of communion is meant to facilitate that when you have communion take the Lord's Supper it is supposed to help cause that happen in your life I want us to pray because today my subject is the preciousness of the presence of God the preciousness of the presence of God Father Would you speak to us right now, impact our lives with your word, and let it change us and transform us as only you can do. And may we see the reality of the promise, the opportunity that we have to literally be in your presence. Thank you for the revelations that come to us from your word that are so profound that we would never discover them on our own if you did not tell them to us because to think that you would actually be willing to dwell among us is such an overwhelming thought. It just blows my mind. I can't get my mind around it. So help us to grasp it in Jesus' name. The renowned Russian author Leo Tolstoy, who you may not know was actually a Christian, tells the fascinating story of a king who in his desire to be a better leader to his subjects, disguised himself as a a peasant, and went out among the common people. Fascinating story. This is precisely what God did in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. However, there are many believers that do not realize that he did something similar in the Old Testament. Our text in Exodus tell us that God didn't desire to just visit Israel. Rather, he Literally wanted to dwell with his people as a visible manifest presence. The New Testament texts both speak of communion. In Acts, as I said, the early believers were having communion regularly in their homes as an act of devotion. And as I've pointed out, the word communion that Paul uses in the book of Second Corinthians means fellowship or closeness with God. In the Old Testament, we see a lot of types and shadows that represent things that would later come to pass in the New Testament. In Exodus, God said to his people, Israel, let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. It has always been God's desire. He wants to be with us and in relationship with us, not as a distant being we go to out of obligation or only when we have a need that is profound and pressing, He wants to be God with whom we have a connection and a relationship right now. The cloud that led ancient Israel, that covered them by day to prevent the sun and that harsh and bitter desert from hurting them. The cloud under which there were manifestations of his glory, divine provisions like manna. A rock that gushed water that never, wore, that never ran out. Clothes that never were deteriorated or got old. The same cloud that turned into a pillar of fire to warm them by night to cover them. That cloud was literally the symbol of the manifest presence of God. It was his manifest presence. It was something that was seen by everyone. The cloud is what you call in theology a theophany. Since God is a spirit and therefore invisible, at times he would create a way for his presence to literally be seen by mankind. And when you go to the internet, pull up that word. That is literally what a theophany is. It is a physical manifestation of an invisible God. Exodus 13 and 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. The cloud was literally the presence of God. And this is absolutely mind-blowing and astonishing to me. Israel went about doing everything they did in the course of their ordinary lives. Whether it was herding cattle or sheep or goats or cooking a meal or raising a crop or, or gathering manna or sowing clothing or worshiping God. Or just sitting around with family and visiting with friends. They did it all in the manifest and visible presence of God. And they were not acting all weird either. They lived in the presence of God 24-7. It became a normative behavior for them. God was every bit as present as their family and friends were. His presence was an uncontested reality. Even the children playing were constantly aware of the presence of God in the form of that cloud that was over them as they played. They grew up, an entire generation literally grew up in the presence of God. At night, everyone was aware of that pillar of fire, that cloud that God said in in the book of Psalms that he spread over them. This is an incredible picture Of what God intended for our relationship with him to be like. He wants us to always be aware that he is near us. I mean, I want you to picture this. You open the flap of your tent in the morning and step outside and there's that cloud over the nation of Israel. You look up, he's there. You're talking to your friends out of the corner of your eye. He's always there. You're working in your garden, he's always there. You're herding goats and sheep, he's always there. Amen. You're talking to your wife, he's always there. You're visiting and having tea with friends, he's always there. No matter what you're doing. And at night, when the day is ended, and you're sitting around visiting with friends, or maybe talking about God, you see this visible fire and that's the last thing that you see before when you let the flap of that curtain down at night and you and your family retire for the day. Amen. What I'm hoping you will see is that being aware of the cloud wasn't a phenomenon granted to only a few special and privileged people. Everyone could see it from the least to the greatest, from the, from the youngest to the oldest. They literally lived in that presence for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for, throughout those years. Amen. It was never God's desire that only a priestly caste of people would experience a presence of God and then come back and tell the rest of the people about it. He wanted everybody from the beginning. I don't care who you were. I don't care what your last name was. I don't care what your occupation was or how much money you had or didn't have. You could, you were in the presence of God. Amen. You lived with his presence. Oh, hallelujah. We read in both Jeremiah 31 and verse 34 and in Hebrews 8 and 11, none of them... "...shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them." didn't matter where you were at in the social register. Every single person got to encounter the presence of God. And as you probably noticed, he required that they bring an offering so they could build a sanctuary for him to dwell among them. He wanted to live among his people, and when he asked for an offering from each of them... It wasn't because he needed their possessions. You hear so much negativity these days. Let me set the record straight. What kind of God is it that is so needy that his subjects have to take care of him? I don't want to serve a God I got to take care of. I want to serve a God that can take care of me. Amen. Amen. No, he didn't ask for an offering because he needed it. He was the mighty God of the universe who created all and owns all nor were they given an offering because they were supposed to pay for the privilege of entering into his presence. Remember, the Bible says that these things were a type and a shadow of things to come. Amen. Stephen, in his discourse before the Sanhedrin in the seven and 8th chapters of the book of Acts, we call Israel the nation in the wilderness. Stephen called it the church in the wilderness. It was a prototype, a type and shadow of the church that was going to come. Amen. And I want you to see here that the offering they were supposed to pay was not for a, 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 the privilege, it simply designates or points out an important principle. And that is this that it will always cost you something to know God and to walk daily with Him. God said, bring me an offering because there was a later generation coming that needed to know it's going to cost you something to be in the presence of God. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. You can't live any way you want to live and still be in the presence of the living God. And it's going to require you disciplining your thoughts and your minds. And it's going to require time for God. Amen. You should also notice that the stipulation requiring an offering was the same for every person. No one was required to give more because they had more or give less because they had less and there was no exemption for anyone. Every single person will have to pay a price of personal consecration to have God dwell in their midst. There, and this, this is important. You've got to get this. As I said, because what's really going on is God is saying you've got to give value if you won't value. It's going to cost you something to get what is greater than man can put a price on. You're going to have to pay a price to get what is so valuable that that man cannot put enough gold together to buy it. Hallelujah. It will cost you to experience his abiding presence and this speaks of the preciousness of the presence of God. So the real question in 2017 and October 8 on a Sunday morning is, is it possible as believers today for us to learn how to live in a constant awareness of the presence of the Lord as Israel experienced? Some would say no. But I personally believe that is because they haven't had the experience. They don't have any scripture to back up at their reason for saying no it's just simply since they haven't experienced it, it's not smoke if it doesn't come out of their chimney. Amen. Hear what I'm saying. I read that everything that happened to Israel in the Old Testament era was written for us. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. All these things happened to them and they are as examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages are come. Amen. Or if these things were a shadow of heavenly things, as Hebrews declares, whoever heard of the shadow having more substance than the thing that cast the shadow? Because Hebrews 8 and 5 said, These things serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. What God was requiring in Israel was actually casting a shadow And the real thing was going to come to pass in our era. And here's what I'm saying. That if Israel could live in the manifest presence of God, and that was the shadow, the shadow doesn't have more substance than what casts the shadow. You and I can live in the manifest presence of God as well. If they could get up in the morning and the cloud is there and eat their noon meal and the cloud is there and look out of the corner of their eye and the cloud is there and walk down the road and the cloud is there and go fishing and the cloud is there. You hear what I'm talking about. Everything they did, God was right there. If they could do it and that was the shadow, you and I have the right as the church today to experience the manifest presence of God in our daily lives. Many people do not know that this, is, that this is even possible, but it is, and I want to show you why. Secondly, I personally think that of all the things that I have come to know about God and His Word through these years of living for God, 50 years of serving the Lord, and of studying His Word and of all the things that have influenced me and impacted my life, what I'm sharing with you right now is the single most important thing I've come to understand about God. I've, been, I've had some amazing experiences. Being saved was incredible. Getting baptized was awesome. If you haven't received the Holy Spirit yet, you need to get it, I'm telling you. And if you haven't been baptized yet, you need to get baptized. Hear what I'm telling you amen that was incredible and not only that but the times that god has met me in prayer the times i've walked in that door right there and sat down and the presence of god has overwhelmed me as the worship was going up to god and his presence filled this building not only that the miracles i've seen him do in people's lives the miracles he's done in my own life the miracle he did for me recently Whenever he touched my back after all these surgeries and 14 years of living with medication and pain, I'm telling you, hey look, look, God has shown up and he's been awesome. I like the fact that right in the middle of us, a, a, a crisis, when there was no way out I look back at the times when my back has been against a wall and I didn't know where to go and God showed up and made a way where there was no way and stepped into the middle of the situation and changed everything. I'm talking about divine reversal. God knows how to turn it around and God knows how to do things in your life that nobody else can do. Am I talking to anybody here? Am I, am, I, am I speaking to anybody in this house that you were painted into a corner you getting, couldn't get out of and, and God stepped in the middle of it and said, I'll make a way when you knew there was no doctor, no attorney, nobody. <laughs> God has been awesome. Awesome. But of every prayer I've seen him answer and every miracle I've watched him do, and getting baptized and filled with his spirit. I've got to tell you that the single most impacting thing that's ever happened in my life is to learn that I can have him with me constantly. To live and abide in his presence. To know that he's with me right now. Hello, somebody. If Israel could do that in the shadow, I can experience that in the reality that was casting the shadow. But moving into this dimension in your relationship with God, will require you to stretch your mind. You're going to have to believe his word, not what people tell you. Not the model set by modern Christianity. Mm -mm. And you're going to have to believe that it's possible (laughs) for you to experience what I'm talking about. And I want to say this. Here's another kingdom principle. Faith places no limits on God. And God places no limits on faith. If you can believe, God can do it. Believe. Just believe. Hello, somebody. Believe His Word. Don't look around and ask somebody else what they think. Believe His Word. Don't look around at the next believer and say, Has this happened to you? Stand on the Word of God. Not on someone else's lack of experience. There are scriptures that I'm convinced that tell us that we were meant to live in the presence of the Lord, the abiding presence of God. I keep going back to Psalms 91. I visited that Psalm so many times in the last several weeks. It begins like this. I did it last Sunday, Psalms 91 and 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That was not a psalms written by david there are at least eight authors that contributed to the compilation of the book of psalms did you know that there's Asaph and there's others and and guess who this one was written by it's written by a man named moses <laughs> and you know who moses was he was the guy that lived under that cloud for all those years And when he's talking about he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, he's not talking hypothetical theory. He's talking experiential reality. They lived it for 40 years in the wilderness. Hello, somebody. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I even believe that we claim promises that we're not really entitled to because it's he who dwells in the secret place that can then say of the Lord, you are my shield and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. A thousand will fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, yet it shall not come near. No plague will come nigh my dwelling. When you're in the presence of God, just like Israel, you are living in a cloud of divine protection. The enemy cannot get near you. Woo! Woo! Forgive me, but I feel my Holy Spirit working here this morning. Hallelujah. Moses, therefore, was uniquely qualified to make this position known to us and to Arthur this psalms, because he's actually speaking from his experience. But we find the same thing promised in the New Testament, John 15, 4, abide in me abide that means live <laughs> amen dwell in the word literally means dwell now go back to psalms 91 he who dwells you see the correlation there so john 15:7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you hallelujah the secret to getting prayers answered is not stand on the outside of the tabernacle hollering to God, trying to get God's attention. It's to be in the middle of the presence of the living God. When you're in His presence, something begins to happen in terms of the numbers of prayers answered that you pray. There is an experience of living and dwelling within the manifest presence of God. How do you begin to experience that as a believer how do you how do you get started as with israel i'm teaching you that if they're the shadow god wants us to have the experiential reality because the shadow never has the same substance try to catch a shadow i got shadows on the platform up here i can't catch you there's no substance to a shadow a shadow is there because of something that is real it's casting a shadow. What I'm talking about is what's real. Amen. But it begins with this. It was, it began with God's request that Israel prepare a place for him in their lives. It always begins there. He wants to, but you have to prepare space. And be sure, just as it did with Israel, it will cost you something to do that. You must be willing to give something of value to receive what is so precious that earth has no capacity or ability to place value upon it. In the book of James, chapter 4, we're actually given instructions that if we follow them, I think they will help us become aware of his abiding presence. Read James 4, verse 7 through 8. Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Everybody knows the last half of that verse. You're in a problem, go to somebody, I'm really having a problem. Well, oh, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Before you do that, you better do the first part of the verse, which is submit to God. Amen. And verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I want you to notice these four profound instructions. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let's take them in these last few minutes one at a time. Number one, submit to God. One of the problems with not walking in God's abiding presence is that it is so easy to become care- careless in how we live. You know that's true. As believers, we're called to walk out the life of Christ here in this fallen world, and it's always easier to, for us to, to yield to temptation when you're by yourself, but if you have someone there With you, who stands for and represents the ideals that you're trying to also live, it makes it harder, which is why it is so difficult for you to serve God if you've got the wrong people around you. How do you submit to God? Because to really know the joy of walking with God, you have to make a decision to be fully committed to Him. And that's hard to do. The flesh that we live in doesn't want to give up control. Look, this has been a crazy week. Who would have known or dreamed that we would finish church services last Sunday and go to our homes. And before the evening is over, 59 people have been shot dead and 480 some odd have been wounded. You say, that's terrible. That guy, he, he, he was all of this and all of that. I want to reintroduce something into this conversation that you're not hearing a lot of. Because they have denigrated belief in God in the spirit dimension and said it's not real. I want to tell you, that guy was probably demon-possessed. Amen. You can talk about stress and pressure and mental illness. His girlfriend that came back from the Philippines voluntarily to talk to the police after she heard what had happened in her absence, said that he had deteriorated to the place, that he would lie in bed and groan and moan and gnash his teeth and say, oh God, oh God, and scream. We're not talking about a person that just had mental illness. We're talking about somebody that reached a level of demonic possession and he gave himself over to evil until evil consumed him. And when you give yourself over to God, God will consume you. Amen. God will consume you. But you have to submit to God. That's what makes the enemy flee from you. But if you don't submit to God, the enemy has a field day in your life. That guy was not some idiot, some maniac. I'm talking about a guy that was extremely intelligent. Very successful in terms of finances. Owned five houses, two airplanes was a multi-millionaire, was a professional gambler, and good at it. His 2015 tax return, he made $5 million gambling. I'm not talking about somebody who was not intelligent. This guy was sharp enough that he knew cards and could remember numbers, but he gave himself over to evil. And I don't care how good life is or how much money you have, if you're holding yourself over and not submitting to God, there's another force that's trying to gain control of your life. You hear what I'm saying right now. Amen. You need to submit yourself to God. So it's time that we we recognize the fact that we're just often so busy we don't even have time for a devotional life, and that is not good. But I bet you you always have time for your hobbies and watching TV. Can I be pastor for a few minutes here? Amen. Submit to God. You're going to have to pay a price. It cost Israel an offering for God to live among them. You're going to have to make a decision. Second thing is resist the devil. Do not give in to the temptation to be caught up in everything else. Sometimes the temptation is to spend too much time in things that are not necessarily bad, but they aren't really contributing to our good either. And when you start moving from submitting to God to giving your time to things that well, they may not be all that bad, but they're not wholesome either or helpful. Nothing wrong with them, but they're not adding value to your life. You have moved from here to here, and it's not a big step until you get over here doing the wrong things. Did you know that the average person, are you listening to me right now? The average person spends 284 minutes a day, 82 minutes a day on their smartphones. 282 minutes a day. That's four hours and 42 minutes of every day. On CrackBook, I'm sorry, I mean Facebook, Instagram. Why are you checking my pictures out? You know what I look like. What I have to show you what I'm eating. You've never seen food before. show you my bowl of gumbo. You, I, I'm sorry. There's, we waste our time on stuff. that doesn't matter. Hello, somebody. We need to push back against the attraction of a website, a TV show, or other activities that bypass the filter of our conscious mind and dump a lot of garbage into our hearts. The same is true with lyrics. You listen to a song and it's promoting the wrong values and you gather friends around you that are promoting the wrong values and encourage the wrong things in you. I said, you've got to first submit yourself to God and secondly, resist the devil. And I personally find it a lot easier to resist the devil if I don't spend all my time thinking about the old bad boy. But I'm thinking about God. Hello, somebody. His presence gives me the strength to resist my flesh that would have me do the wrong things. And if you're aware of the nearness of his presence, it's, it works the same way it does. If you're going to an appointment and you're late. Anybody ever going to an, been on your way to an appointment and you're late? Traffic backed up. There was a wreck up the road. You're late. You're 30 minutes behind. And finally it clears up. And guess what you're tempted to do right now? Speed. See how fast that car will really go. But I want to tell you what will fix that temptation for you. It's if you look in the rearview mirror, and there's a traffic policeman right behind you. Because he's with you, you lose all temptation and desire to break the speed limit. Am I talking to anybody right now? You don't even want to think about it anymore. You you you're setting that con- cruise control on two miles an hour under just in case the new size tires you put on have thrown off the odometer, speedometer rather. Amen. Oh no, uh-uh. Having him with you becomes a, a force that helps you resist evil. Or right, let me get, and then you, he follows you for 30 minutes. You ever have this happen? And then you take your exit and you look and there he goes. And it turns out he's from another county and didn't even have jurisdiction. but the presence of that light on the top of that car. Are you in a classroom? And it's a really significant test. And there's a question that counts for a lot of points. And you don't know the answer. You can't remember. Your mind goes blank. That ever happened to you? And then the guy right next to you carelessly turns his paper in your direction. And there's the answer only a few feet away. And you don't cheat, but you sure are tempted right now. And you want to look over. But let me tell you what fixes that. It's when the teacher who's walking around the room walks right over and stops right beside you. You don't want to look anymore. You'd rather have a bad grade than a zero. Hello, somebody. Or you're on your honeymoon and you're madly head over heels in love with this beautiful, ravishing creature who somehow, God, thanks to God, has blinded her enough that you've swept her off her feet and she's agreed to marry you and is wearing your ring on her finger. And you're sitting there gazing deep into the dark, limpid pools of her eyes. Lost in the moment. Your heart is pounding, and you're thinking I'm the luckiest man on earth. Think back, guys. It used to be that way. Amen. And then some other woman walks by, and she thinks you're cute. And she's not even in the same league with the woman you're with. In fact, she's not even on the same planet as far as you're concerned. And she's making eyes at you, but your bride is sitting there. There is no way you're even going to look over and notice that uh, other woman... Because you got somebody with you, you hear what I'm saying. And when you have God with you, it's easier to resist temptation. You hearing what I'm talking about right now? The point of these illustrations is the presence of God gives you the strength you might have, not have at other times to say no. And then, number three, draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? You read and you meditate on His Word and talk about God. You hear what I'm saying. Always find time to talk about God. Make daily devotions a priority in your life. Talk to Him as though He's standing right there. Amen. Have devotions with your family and teach them how to center their thoughts on God. Remember I told you there was a whole generation raised in the wilderness that grew up with a manifest presence of God. That that became their normative experience. Make your children grow up in the presence of God. Let that be normative behavior in your household. Do things that will assist you in keeping an awareness of God. Go to church faithfully. Stop this business of coming when you want to. Worship when you're by yourself. Read his word. Play worship CDs on your way to and from work instead of listening to things that are Forgive me, the spiritual equivalent of McDonald's junk food. They have lots of fat, but very little nutrition. Another thing you can do is fast to sharpen your spiritual sensitivity. Fasting resists and breaks down the whole the body has on you. You remember last week I said you're a tripartite being, body, soul, spirit. The flesh wants to do the wrong things. The spirit's over here calling out to God. And if it's been programmed properly with the Word of God, it will point you in the right direction, amen. But be careful about your emotions because whichever way they tilt on this, if you fall in love with the world and the flesh, it's gonna pull you the wrong way. But if your emotions tilt toward God and you fall in love with God, it pulls you closer to him, amen. So draw near to God and number four, I promise you and you remember, you write this down I will stand on this, and if it doesn't work for you, you come and tell me, because I know that it works. If you will do these four things, submit to God, resist the devil, and draw near to God, I promise you, he will draw near to you. I promise you, because he wants to be with you. It was his idea. Moses, go get an offering so I can dwell among my people. Build me a sanctuary. I want to be there. And that's the shadow. To help increase our awareness of the presence of God. I'm going to close by spending my moments my, that I have left on just a few things here. In Acts two forty two, they shared communion in homes. That was deliberately done to keep Jesus with them and make him real to them on a daily basis. I wanted to begin this school in fall season by calling us to 30 days of prayer and fasting through the month of September. I've not told you this, but the Sunday Hurricane Harvey struck, my message notes were already written out. I was calling us to begin 30 days of prayer and fasting. You will remember we were planning a men's conference, weren't we, Tony? That was to take place today, this weekend. A Holy Spirit encounter that was to take place tonight. I wanted us to prepare spiritually for both of these events, but more than that, prepare for the fall season and just draw close to God. And then with devastating effect, Hurricane Harvey shows up the very weekend. I was going to ask us to begin to do that. And with all that needed to be done to help rebuild people's homes and lives and the energy required to not only recover from the storm, but to help others in need, I felt that it was righteous that we should wait a little while before launching a church-wide time of prayer and fasting. I know, I know, I know we're still recovering, but you will find there's never a convenient time to seek God, and life and the enemy will see to it that there's never a convenient season, so i'm asking us beginning this sunday for the next 30 days to enter into a 30-day season of prayer and fasting this world needs it we've had four hurricanes that have come through and just the last little over a month this mass shooting in las vegas this nation is in trouble do you hear what i am talking about and i want to tell you why it's because churches have not provided spiritual leadership We keep praying, our Father, which art in Washington, D.C., hang that up. Forget it. There's no help coming to you from any political party. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and who made earth. You get God in charge, he'll straighten out this mess. Amen. And I know some of you are still working hard, but I want us to pray. And, And you can fast any number of ways you want to. If you can fast all day for 30 days, well, thank God. If some of you are on medication, you can't. Maybe all you can do is miss a meal a day. Or maybe you can fast in other ways. Young people, listen up. You see all these folk that go to lunch? Notice the next time you're in a restaurant. Everybody at the table has their smartphone out. And nobody's talking to each other. They're even texting each other across the table. Am I right? Come on, help me out. Let me tell some of you how you can fast. Fast social media media for the next 30 days. I promise you that will be the hardest fast some of you ever, ever commit to do. Really got a hold on me. You say, I can't completely stop communicating. Well, don't. Limit yourself to 20 or 30 minutes a day, but not 282 Amen. I also want us to do what first believers did. The early disciples had communion in their homes. For the next 30 days, starting today, get some crackers that don't have salt or some unleavened bread, matzo bread, and get some grape juice. And you're all ready already in business if you do that. And you read this verse in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. Read through verse 25. This is my body which is broken for you. Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Same thing with, with the blood. This is my blood which is shed for you. Take, take this. As often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. You and your family sit down together and for the next 30 days. And if you're part of a small group, do that with your small group as well. Amen. And then eat the bread and drink the the wine. I remind you that the word communion used in the New Testament is the Greek word koinonia, or fellowship. And what you're doing is you're bringing Christ into the middle of what your life is all about. Every day, you're making him the center of your home. You say, but... But is it right to do communion that often? That's 30 days in a row. Isn't that too, soon, too, too often to do it? It is my opinion that since the Bible does not prescribe how regularly we should take communion, it's actually up to each church and individual and the season of life you're in to determine how often it should be done. It's okay to take communion during seasons when you're seeking God or facing a crisis, as long as its meaning does not lose significance for you. Never take it by road or as a ritual. And that's how I began today. I began by asking you, do you know where some of the the, the rituals and traditions that we have in our lives actually started from? Communion actually started from a very important place. Matthew 6 and 7 says, when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't do this for the next 30 days thinking just because you're doing it, it's your little rabbit's foot. Hello, God. Here I am. No, no. I promise you that if you will do communion as a family and pray and read your Bible for the next 30 days, God will show up in your house. I promise you. If you're having problems with a teenage boy, get him to have communion with you for 30 days because God will do something in his heart, in his spirit. If you're having a problem in your marriage, you and your husband or wife sit down and glare at each other if you got to. But, but then have communion together because when Jesus shows up in the middle of everything, he changes your life. Hello. And when you're living in the constant abiding presence of God, It brings value to your life that you never would have experienced otherwise. So I don't see any problem with taking communion weekly or monthly in your homes, even after this season of fasting as a church is over. We as a church usually take communion several times a year. What is it, Pastor Donnie, about once every three months? Six times a year, once every two months. Amen. I think once a year, like some churches do, it is way too long. You want to experience communion. And when you're going through a crisis, look, let me tell you. If you're having a problem with your finances and on your job, do communion for 30 days. Get your family together and watch and see if God doesn't do something in that situation. You get a bad diagnosis, <laughs> you tell the devil, watch this, devil, I'm taking communion until this, I get a good report back from the doctor. God can show up and do things in your life that you never knew he could do. Hello. Amen. Amen. And I want to close here. Would you stand with me? I'm not done, but I'm going to close. I'll pick this up next weekend. And would you gather around the altar with me because I want to pray with you. Come, everybody draw near. Submit to God. Say it with me. Submit to God. Say, secondly, resist the devil. Thirdly, draw near to the Lord. Fourthly, he will draw near to you. You see, I did not know that I could live in the abiding presence of God. And I learned this through experience in serving God over the years. And out of all of the experiences that I've had with God, and there have been many that are that are memorable, that profoundly changed my life. I can remember experiences that occurred that I will carry with me to the end of my life. They profoundly impacted me so deeply that there's no way that I can forget it. But out of everything I've ever known, the single most impacting thing is to learn that He can be with me every moment of my life.